All right, time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Tuesday, February 10th, 2009. I'd like to thank you for tuning us in. I'm beginning to think that um, I do the Christian version of the Twilight Zone. You know, maybe if I were to Twitter, you know, I could Twitter about just some of the crazy things that I see that I don't actually comment on. Ay, ay, ay. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that strives to take every thought and make it captive and obedient to Christ. Sounds like a tall order nowadays. Um, considering the fact that uh, Christianity, we live in apparently a post-literate world, um, and a post-biblically literate church. And, uh, and so what do we do here? We take what people say. Leaders, pastors, teachers, those who have book deals, those who don't have book deals. And we we tune in to what they're saying. Thanks to the wonderful technology known as the Internet, it uh, makes the world a lot smaller. And what do we do? We compare what people say to the Word of God. And by the way, I'm not exempt from this little exercise. Your job as a listener here at Fighting for the Faith is to grow in your biblical discernment, grow in your understanding of the scriptures, and grow, 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 grow in how to defend the Christian faith, uh, sound Christian doctrine, so that you can spot wolves for yourself, protect yourself, protect your friends, protect your family. And ultimately, this is an exercise that helps you defend and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have an agenda. And, uh, I haven't done a good program if uh, if I don't at least talk about Christ and the cross about 50 times in, in, a, in a program, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so John today, you know, was, you know, apparently I was a little late getting into the studio and he was threatening to uh, do his own version of Dodger talk today. On That's the, right. <laughs> Roseboro, get hooked up. Get in here. Yeah, we're going to talk about finding Christ in the Dodgers. I don't know if that's possible. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can answer you that. You think you could do that? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, today we've got a good program lined up. We're going to uh, read some listener email responding to uh, one uh, particular, responding to James Chaung. And uh, we're going to re- get a couple of responses from you all regarding soaking prayer. <sighs> soaking prayer. My goodness. And... Um, one of the emails is actually a comment that was left for me at the Museum of Idolatry. In case you don't know, I am the, uh, aside from being the host of the Fighting for the Faith radio program, I also am the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. Now, I get a lot of flack from people basically saying, why is this site so negative? There's nothing ever positive on this site. All you ever do is show the terrible things. It's a museum of idolatry. I mean, when you go to the Natural History Museum and, you know, and you, the Museum of Natural History, you, you've been to these places before, right? I have they, yes. have. they have birds and whales and dinosaurs and, and elephants and giraffes, and they, they have all these wonderful museum-like displays regarding the wonders of, the, of nature and the planet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, have you noticed that at the Museum of Natural History, they don't have any exhibits regarding uh, man's trip to the moon? They don't have that there. No, they don't have that there. It, it, yeah, nothing Nothing regarding the people who are, are in the Hall of Fame in baseball. No. No. Why? Because it's a Museum of Natural History. 
Right. Right. But sometimes they have a traveling show that comes through. Yeah, this is true. A little circus kind of thing. Is it a circus museum? They do that? Well, you know, in a, in a temporary exhibit. Oh, okay. I, I got it. Well, see, the thing is, is that the Museum of Idolatry, we exhibit idolatry. <laughs> That's all we do. It's a single-minded, single-focused type of thing. It's a niche market, if you would. And so as a result of it, you know, it, it, keep in mind, it's not designed to be positive. It's supposed to be a freak show. It that's what it is. It's a spiritual freak show. So, which makes me think that I'm beginning more and more to think that uh, I'm living in the twilight zone. We'll talk about that a little bit today. So, we got some email regarding uh, soaking prayer. I got uh, a comment left to me asking a question about uh, John Crowder and Benjamin Dunn, the uh, the token the Holy Ghost guys. They they got another exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry. Uh, they're they're going on what they call the Drunken Glory Tour. Hey. <sighs> I got a great email regarding – we got an answer regarding the Mormon gods. Oh. Can Mormon gods become war gods? We have somebody who claims they got a definitive answer to that. Uh, we got a news story about a Christian foster mother who lost her job in Great Britain after the, the 16-year-old girl that uh, that she was caring for um, was a Muslim girl, and she converted to Christianity. So they, they sacked her. And, <laughs> and then I've got – I, th- this is where things get really crazy. We, we got got a preacher down in uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area that's actually preaching on Super Bowl commercials, and we'll be playing some audio from the news, <laughs> the NBC news story that uh, on that one. And there's a little bunny trail we have to go on. Did you know there was a song called "Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Field Goals of Life"? Oh yes. This is news to me. You've never heard that one. No, <laughs> we'll be playing that because they, apparently they sang that in this church. Because uh, they're preaching on Super Bowl commercials. And then uh, we'll, we're going to continue our jaunt through the uh, Gospel of Mark. And then we got an interesting uh, sermon. Can you call it that? From uh, life coach and goat herder, uh, Chris Songson. And he's currently doing a, 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 a sermon, a seminar series. Whoops, hang on a second here. Yeah, he's currently doing a seminar series uh, called Obsession, Igniting a Sacred Romance. And uh, I picked this one particularly because I thought it was, um, from a purpose-driven point of view, I thought it was uh, a great example of a great purpose-driven sermon. And I don't mean that it's a good theology. I mean, that's bad theology. And uh, it also, because it's an example of some of those types of sermons that used to creep me out when I was an evangelical, makes Jesus sound like my girlfriend. Yeah, can't wait to get to that one. It's going to be all kinds of fun today, so stay tuned. Stay with us for the whole couple of hours because we're going to have all kinds of fun. So we got an email from uh, uh, from Crystal in Indianapolis. She's going to be uh, a neighbor of mine. You know, is it Crystal? Is it true that uh, they they call Indianapolis the Rust Belt? Somebody said, "Welcome to the Rust Belt." I'm a Rust Belt. I don't want things rusting on me. And you don't see cars that are 20 years old on the road. You don't? No. What do you see? Cars that are younger than that. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Anyway, she says, hi, Mr. Roseboro. She actually just called me by my regular name. See, there's a division now among listeners. You know how sometimes when women, they, they, they color their hair and they can't remember the original hair color? Yeah. You're going to get to the point where you can't remember your original name. You think so? I think so. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll, have like, uh, I'll have split ends and I won't be able to remember my, first, my last name, right? <laughs> okay all right so, so she asked the question is james chowng out of his mind that's that's a great question because quite frankly um 
that's one of my questions at this point too. He says, why do people feel that they need to simplify something that is already simple? Good question. Yeah, I know. I thought this was a brilliant email. She says, I have a class of two-year-olds that I teach in a Christian preschool every week. Two-year-olds. Okay, And it says, and they can tell you the gospel. If you ask them what the gospel is, they would say, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried in a tomb and on the third day rose again. Two-year-olds. You know, and I don't doubt her for a second because that's pretty simple. That's the, that's the summary of the gospel that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15. She says, and then they cheer. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, two-year-olds have a tendency to get a little excited about things. And God bless him. I love that that joy. And when she says, anyway, James Chow's example is actually more complicated than the true gospel. I agree with you, uh, Crystal. You're absolutely spot on. It is more complicated. She says, the worst part, the worst part of the whole thing, when Chow says that sin entered the world, we started, our, we, we put our needs above the needs of other people. What? The other worst part, Jesus came to show us a better way to live? And she says, no, 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 no. She says, is that what Mark 10, 45 says? 10, Mark 10, 45. <clears throat> I have to pull out my Bible here. Mark 10, 45 actually tells us why Jesus came to earth. You know, if anybody understood his mission, you know, you, you think about people, you know, this mission, should you choose to accept it? You know, if anybody understood his mission as to why he was here, um, Jesus being God in human flesh, bet you anything, he was more qualified to know what his mission was than anybody, right? And um, it's Jesus says this, uh, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's uh, Mark ten forty five. So you think Jesus understood what his mission was? Did Jesus come to... Show us a better way to live. Well, there's not one quote that you can pull out from the New Testament that where Jesus says, I came to show you a better way to live. Instead, it says that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Hmm. <clears throat> Crystal, you have a good point. So we continue with Crystal's email here. She says, um, she says, or did Christ, Jesus come to give his life as a ransom for many? Last time I checked, Romans 5, 8 said that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Well, now, Crystal, obviously, you don't understand. I mean, you're quoting these passages as if you believe in the substitutionary atonement and you believe in propositional truth claims, and obviously you've been infected by Reformation theology. And don't you understand that every 500 years we have a garage sale and we sell all of our stuff and uh, we we invent a new Christianity, like Doug Paget said yesterday in that video. You know, you know, he needs a he 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 he's a Christian, but he doesn't believe in Christianity. And all the Christian, you know, the Christianity that's come down to us over the last couple of thousand years, that nah, doesn't work today. So he's he's co he put he cobbled together, you know, a Christianity that he thinks is worth believing. But in reality, it's kind of made from like spare body parts from different religions. And I, if anything, I bet you his Christianity, if you could put flesh and blood on it, it would look like Frankenstein. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm sorry, Crystal, I digress. <laughs> okay, so she also points this out. She says, but of course, Chow doesn't actually use any scripture when he shares the, quote, gospel. So I'm 
probably expecting too much when I expect it to be scripturally a sound. I think that's the whole point, is, uh, is that Chowng is trying to get us to envision a new way of thinking about the gospel. And because it's new, it's relevant, it's hip, it's postmodern. It's, he's been endorsed by Brian McLaren, Shane Claiborne, Leonard Sweet, and Rick Warren. Rick Warren, I mean, the, these are heavy-hitting guys that have put their stamp of approval on James Chowng's so-called gospel. I mean, he now is, is, is a, a rising star in this new way of retooling and rethinking and reimagining and, and exponentially changing and being creative about the gospel. And, and, and so he's – you see what I'm saying? Sounds like Rick needs to go to Crystal's two-year-old class. Good point. You know? I think he'd have a lot to learn. Apparently, he needs some remedial learning. <laughs> You know, obviously Fuller Seminary hasn't done a no. good job in training him in, in being biblical. And so we should send him back to preschool. I mean, I like it in Matthew 18 where it says even, you know, little ones have faith in God. Right, exactly. Do not forbid <laughs> the little ones from coming to me, Jesus says. And it says unless you have the faith of a child, an infant, a little one. And believe me, little ones can have faith, and they do. Anyway, he says, we as Christians uh, d- uh, do need to be salt and light in the world, but the point of the gospel is not to make the world a better place. I agree. See, the gospel actually highlights that this world and the things of it are passing away and focuses on eternity. How sad that so many people are missing the point. And thanks for reading my rambling email. Great email, Crystal. It wasn't rambling at all. I thought it was fantastic. All right, moving along here. We've got another email. This is from Ray in L.A. Ray is a frequent emailer here. And uh, he says, good afternoon, Chris. Stop and smell the rose, bro. <laughs> another new one. That's right. I have no idea what my name is anymore. Uh, he says, you don't get the soaking prayer because you don't know how to read the scriptures. Can you believe that? What a charge. Well, let me read more. He says, you see, when the Bible talks about watery things like baptism, it really isn't about water at all. On the other hand, when it talks about spiritual things like the presence of God, it's really about water. So water baptism is really about a spiritual baptism, and and the spiritual presence of God is really about soaking in the watery presence of God. See? No. (laughs) It sounded deep. It sounded profound. I think he was trying to be funny. Yes. And I think he succeeded. He says, P.S., I'm sure glad the Holy Spirit can speak to us by combining English colloquialisms like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. With scriptures like the Psalms, that makes it so much easier to understand what he is saying. (laughs) Okay. He says, here's a little quote here on this P.S. from Walter Martin. Walter Martin said, if you're going, if you're not going to be saved by grace, you'll be judged by the law. It is true, sad, and scary. All right, hang on a second here. You know what's funny? I have got two emails from Crystal. Crystal snuck a second one in here, but I'm going to read a, uh, an email from, let's see here. This one is from Alden, okay? Alden writes regarding the soaking prayer thing. He says, Chris, first of all, I'm not a big fan of the, air, uh, of, of the airport Christian fellowship and haven't followed their teachings, but I'm wondering about your logic. Trinity isn't mentioned in the Bible either. Neither are scores of other practices like having professional pastors, church buildings, Christmas programs, Sunday school, church buses, newsletters, the rapture, etc. By your logic, your blog is heretical because blogs aren't mentioned in the Bible. 
Now, this is an interesting point. He says, your assessment seems based on your personal opinions more than anything else. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's unpack this for a second. Now, let me, let me go to uh, the Museum of Idolatry because I, I went ahead, as promised yesterday, in the Museum of Idolatry, I put in an exhibit uh, regarding the soaking prayer, and I actually made the put the post of the video there. So if you go to the Museum of Idolatry, which is found at a littleleaven.com, a little depressing website that we have there. We're almost up to 900 exhibits there. Can you believe that? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so here's what I basically said. I said, without any passages in the scripture teaching that we can engage in soaking prayer, and without a single example of any of the biblical patriarchs, Jesus, or his disciples engaging in soaking prayer, these people have invented a way to, quote, experience the love of God. Yet, God has nowhere promised that he could be experienced in this way. But then again, the folks at the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship are also the ones that brought us the so-called laughing revival. So if you're exhausted after having your spirit bubble up from your belly, then you can get some rest by engaging in soaking prayer. Uh, but neither practice can be found in the scriptures. Okay, here's what it boils down to. Now, I agree with you, Alden, that um, church buildings are not mentioned in the scriptures. But see, that's really that falls into the area of Christian freedom and what we consider adi offer. It's not a big deal. I mean, we have as a, as Christians, we have the right to build. You know, there's no prohibition against building a building so that we can gather together at a regular meeting place at a regular time in order to partake in God's word and his sacraments, okay? The issue here is, is that these people are basically creating a practice that they've invented, and the person who's supposed to show up is God himself, and you're supposed to be able to experience him, right? Okay, now, just, just a little bit of a note here. God created the heavens and the earth, he created the birds, the butterflies, the ocean, the lakes, the forests, the trees, the beavers, everything. And he created us, right? He is powerful. We are, we're, we're not, okay? We're talking about a being that we barely understand. And what little we do know about him, he's revealed about himself in the scriptures, okay? So... <clears throat> It, I think it's really presumptuous of us to think that we can invent some technique by which God the Holy Spirit is somehow beholden to show up and then we can just sit there on the floor and experience him, okay? God will be experienced in only the ways that he's promised that he can be experienced, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, for instance, let's say that I decide that I'm going to build a God experience box, Okay, so I run out to uh, uh, the Foot Locker, and I buy myself a cheap pair of Nike tennis shoes, right? I come home, and I take the Nike tennis shoes out of the box. And then what I do is I proceed to take the box, and I cut a hole in one side of it, take some duct tape, and really close it up really good. And then what I do with my God Experience box is I is I, I paint the whole thing. I, you know, I put a base layer on it so I have a nice flat 
you know, I have a, a blank tabula rasa, if you would, you know, a white canvas to work with. And then I put a huge cross on it. And in big letters on the side, I put God experience box. And then on the other side, I put directions. And on the directions, I say, if you put your hand in this box, okay, then you can experience God's presence. So if you want to experience God's presence, all you have to do is put your hand in this box and tell God you love him. And then you, whammo, will guaranteed feel the the presence of God and will experience him. Okay, and then let's say that I decided that I was going to actually make a whole bunch of these and sell them on the internet at 50 bucks a pop, right? Okay, you'd think I was a complete lunatic, right? I guarantee there'd be people who try to buy it. Oh, really? You see, all I would have to do is give testimonies. I, I, I could say John from, uh, from, from San Clemente, you know, a, a Dodger fan, you know, uh, writes, you know, I, Chris, I, I bought your God experience box and I put my hand into it and I've never felt love like that before in my whole life. I mean, it was as if I had entered the Holy of Holies. And then I can say, you know, um, Barb from Mission Viejo writes, you know, that God experience box changed my life and, and the God and, and God's presence residue that was beaming forth from it hit my husband in the head and he stopped beating me. And now he's a good husband, <laughs> right? You'd think I was a complete nut. Okay. I guarantee you there would be people who would be putting, if I were to put a YouTube video up of the God experience box, okay. There would be people who would be putting them on their blog sites saying that I was a heretic, Right. <laughs> Okay, so here's the question I have for you. Um, what's the difference between what I've just described and what they're doing in soaking prayer? The only thing that's different is they're not selling you a box, they're selling you a DVD. Right? And you don't have to stick your hand in the box. What you need to do is lay on the floor and soak on this. There is no... Okay, if you're exper- expecting God to show up, so that you can experience him. I'm sorry, but God is not going to allow himself to be experienced unless in ways that he has not said that he's going to be experienced. I don't care if you take chicken feathers and strip down naked and circle oak trees going, I love Jesus. Okay. You're not going to experience the presence of God that way because God has not promised that you can. The difference here is that these people are, are basically turning God into a performing monkey. Or a, 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 a tamed pet dog. Here, God. Here, God. Come here. Come here. Oh, God. Very good, God. That's a nice God. Can we experience your presence, God? Can we? Can we? Can we? Oh, good God. No, this is crazy. Okay. I thought it was really interesting to watch the comments coming in at 11 today regarding this uh, soaking prayer. People are basically saying that they were sleeping. And uh, one guy wrote in and said that, you know, well, you know now I can tell my wife... You know, to stop bugging me when I fall asleep during the sermon, I can just say I'm soaking, I'm doing soaking prayer. <sighs> so the issue here, Alden, is that God has nowhere promised that he will ex- allow us to experience his presence in this way. Who are we to invent ways where God somehow is beholden to show up and so that we can ecstatically experience his presence? I'm sorry. Um, God is powerful and He's in charge, not us. And it's really, really, really presumptuous of anybody to claim that they can come up with a technique by which they can control God and he would be holden 
to have to show up so that people can sit around on their butts just soaking him in. You see what I'm saying? Anyway. So I hope that answers your, your question, Alden. Yeah, and I also agree the doctrine of the Trinity is not based upon the word Trinity in the Bible. It's actually taught by learning what the Bible says. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, man. i got to watch what I'm doing here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take our first break. When we come back, we'll talk about John Crowder. Because uh, we apparently I wasn't paying attention to the fact that Crystal from Indianapolis snuck in two emails that were good. All right, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we'll talk about John Crowner and Benjamin Dunn and uh, answer uh, Crystal's email regarding them. If you would like to email us regarding anything you've heard so far on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith or something you've heard in a previous episode, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And why is my music not working? Yeah, it would help if I actually turned it on. Um, so uh, here we go. <laughs> and if you've experienced soaking prayer um, and you want to defend it, email me. Talk back, fightingforthefaith.com. Looking forward to it. All right, we'll be right back. Switching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quan Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, 
The mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is our cool bumper music. Deceptively making me sound relevant, cool, hip. (laughs) Anything but. (sighs) But I can dream. All right, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means that we depend on you guys to help us pay our bills and and, uh, be able to bring you this important radio outreach. And uh, that you can support us a couple of different ways. One is that you could uh, send a gift via check to Fighting for the Faith at Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, zip code 92693. Or you can visit fightingforthefaith.com and uh, click on the donate button there. That's a definite way that you can support us. And also want to remind you, Pirate Christian Radio has an excellent, excellent resource available this month, the month of February, as its featured book of the month. And it's called uh, Christ Have Mercy. It's written by Matt, Matt Harrison. And probably one of the best treatments that I've ever read regarding how to put your faith into action. And it keeps the gospel primary. It's not some moralizing, legalistic approach to uh, sanctification. Instead, it is completely just oozing and dripping with the gospel and is just for, for a book to read. is It's inspiring and it keeps you focused on Christ and in the gospel and, and putting the mercy that God has given you in your in the forgiveness of your sins into action and in, in serving your neighbor. Probably just a great, excellent resource. All right, uh, switching gears here, coming back to our email. Um, Crystal in Indianapolis writes again. She's pr- quite prolific today. But it, I have to answer this question because it was a good question. She uh, she basically says, it, uh, I saw the videos posted at the Museum of Idolatry of John Crowder and was sickened by them. And uh, I was wondering, however, what your take is on this ministry. Of course, it's, it, it is horrible and heretical, but... Are you of the mind that they are influenced by and involved in demonic activity, or do you believe that they are simply looking to make a few bucks by cashing in on the itching ears of the day? And thanks for all you do in your ministry. All right, now let me uh, – at the Museum of Idolatry, we have uh, a, an exhibit that's fairly new. It was posted on February 8th called the Drunken Glory Tour. And in this particular YouTube video – uh, John Crowder is wearing a very interesting hat, and the hat that he's wearing is kind of like one of them gangsta bling bling uh, baseball cap type things, and it's got a big dollar sign on it. I mean, g- just a ginormous blinged out dollar sign on it. 
Now, I think this kind of tips their hat a little bit as to what these guys are about. But let, let's play a little bit uh, yeah, of this. I, I know what team they're playing for now. Yeah, they're playing. They're playing for Team Money. That's right. <laughs> and so, uh, we'll, we'll, let's listen into a little bit of uh, this video from YouTube on them. All right, here we go. We would like to make. An announcement. We're having extended meetings in Washington, D.C. D.C. Represent. Now, this particular video, by the way, is subtitled Dumb and Dumber. In the glory. We're at a, a place or having what we like to call the D.C. outpouring. <laughs> at Tom's house. <laughs> if we can't, oh, if we shit, can't yeah. contain the crowds, we're going to have to move this into a duplex. <laughs> we've been here for a couple days. You know, Tom's house is the only place we've ever gone before. Shit, besides, you know, overseas maybe somewhere. Where we really thought we had to extend the meetings because the yeah. glory... I, I feel my brains being sucked out of my eyeballs and my ears at this point. <sighs> oh, the glory is so strong. <laughs> yeah, during these meetings, people are trancing out. There were, last night, <laughs> last night, there was such a heavy trance that came on all of us. It's just oozing this ecstatic love, this ecstatic joy. I mean, it's wild and crazy. Some of the craziest meetings we've ever been to. In a, in a shing ding a ding a ding. So we invite you all to come on out and trance out with us. Grab your trance and partner and uh, spin them around. And, uh, shing one. Yeah, you know, watch a little clip here. Yeah. Uh, from our meeting, one of our meetings over the last couple of days. And you can see how uh, what the outbreaks of glory look like here. <laughs> You tell him, Shekels. <laughs> now stop for a second. Did you hear what they called the dog? Shekels. He's wearing a big blinged out dollar sign hat. And just off the cuff, you know, the do there's a dog barking because they're recording from somebody's house. And uh, just real quick, they said, you know, you tell him, Shekels. And what's Shekels? That's money. Let me tell you one thing. There's a lot of Shekels coming our way. A lot of glory, a lot of financial breakthrough, yeah. a lot of healing glory. Money and healing coming their way, huh? All right. You know, this is not just a healing revival. This is not just a prophetic revival. But there is a heavy trance realm coming. A heavy tranced out glory movement where the physical phenomena of ecstatic union or being manifested. We're going to... All right. I'm going to stop right there. Okay. So, so Crystal writes, and she wants to know, you know, what's my take on this? Is this... Are these guys influenced by demonic activity? Or do you believe they're simply looking to make a few bucks by catching, cashing in on the itching ears of the day? Now, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to answer it this way. Understand something, and that is in the Christian church, that the author of deception... And our mortal enemy is the devil. 
it says in Scripture that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against, really, the devil and his principalities, right? So, in, in a very real way, in a very real way, it is Satan is the one who has influenced and sent these doofy, <clears throat> I think that's the Latin plural for doofuses, into the Christian church, okay? Obviously, you know, on a very spirit, on, on just on a very simple level, these guys, they, they are doing the work of the devil, plain and simple. This is not biblical Christianity. Now, here's the thing. I think from their point of view, what I, if I, if you were to just psychologically dissect these two guys, I don't think they believe any of this. I think they're in it for the money. Okay. The big blinged dollar sign on his baseball cap, the fact that he called the dog shekels and just off the cuff talked about all the shekels that are coming their way. This is just nothing but a stupid show these two are putting on. And there's a bunch of really, really gullible, gullible people who call themselves Christians who are falling for this. Why? Because they're not grounded in God's word. They are experience seekers. And so, I mean, these guys are basically pimples on the rear end of the church. And uh, the, the people they remind me the most of, if you ever read the book Huckleberry Finn, um, these guys remind me of the Duke and the King, of the King and the Duke from uh, Huckleberry Finn. Complete charlatan snake oil huckster salespeople. And they're going around the world. You know, John Crowder's written a book. I mean, he when you listen to this guy talk, he he reminds me of somebody who's like read an encyclopedia article about a you know about spiritual experiences and he just parrots what he he doesn't understand any of the stuff he's talking about. And he gets up and he gives a show and people sit there and go, "Oh, wow, it's the Holy Spirit." And you know, why is it that these guys have, are here? Well, we put up with TBN and their shenanigans for years, Benny Hinn and his shenanigans, and uh, remember the, you know, the the so-called laughing revival out of the, out of the Toronto uh, Fellowship Church there, and you know the Airport Fellowship Church, and you know Rodney Howard Brown and the bubble up from your belly and all this kind of stuff, and claiming this experience and that thing, and the Todd Bentleys and and the Patricia Kings. Nobody's ex is exercising any spiritual discernment. I don't think these guys believe any of it. I mean, if that if that if if I had to put money on a table, said what's your bet? They believe this or not? I'd say I don't think these guys believe any of it. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if you were if somebody were to rip off their camcorder. If they there would be footage on there of them guys sitting there going, "Those Christians are just the stupidest people in the whole world." I mean, that's that's my take on. It. I know it's kind of jaded. You know, but if I had to bet, I'd think that's what it was. These guys are making a fine living, making a fine living. And they have, and, and that's the funny part about it is, is they're mocking us with the, with the whole blinged out dollar sign on us. It's just mockery. You know, you, they, it's like, you guys are going to continue to pay us and give us money. And we're going to continue to completely scam you guys and we're going to make it obvious as to why we're in it and what we're doing, and you'll still continue to give us money. It, it, that's that's the mentality I'm seeing here. Well, that's just my my take. What do you think, John? Quite possible. Yeah, I mean that would be my bet. So hopefully that answers your question. But 
ultimately, they're doing the work of the devil. <laughs> All right. Um, got an email from Matthew Longhorn, and he sent me a link to an article. We're gonna. We're, I'm, I'm not going to read all of Matthew's email today. I might get back to the rest of it tomorrow. But uh, for the sake of time, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at uh, this particular um, uh, headline. Headline is from The Telegraph in the UK. Christian foster mother uh, struck off. That means fired or sacked. You know, the... The, the Brits have far better vocabulary than we do. I like their words, too. A Christian foster mother struck off after Muslim girl converts. Uh, a foster mother with 10 years of experience has been struck off after a Muslim girl she was looking after converted to Christianity, it has been reported. A local council removed the woman from her register for failing to, quote, respect and preserve the teenager's faith, even though the girl made her own decision to change religion when she was 16. The carer, a churchgoer in her 50s who has fostered more than 80 children, is now planning legal action against the council amid complaints from religious groups that Christians are increasingly becoming victims of discrimination. You think so? You know, while we got these doofuses, the, the, the doofy, you know, John Crowder and Benjamin Dunn and, and these purpose-driven types completely dumbing down the Christian religion— those who actually understand Christianity and are doing something are, you know, we're experiencing persecution. Um, anyway, she says she claims that she did not pressurize. Now, in, in the United States, the word pressurize is something you do with a pressure cooker. You, you pressurize it. <laughs> she did not pressurize the girl who was put in care after being assaulted by a family member to convert and actually tried to discourage her initial interest in Christianity. Quote, we had a multicultural household and I had no problems helping the young person maintain her faith of birth, the woman who cannot be named for legal reasons, told the mail on Sunday. Quote, I've always prided myself on being very professional in what I do. She added, I offered her alternatives. I offered to find her places to practice her own religion, which is Islam, you know, when she first came there. Um, I offered to take her to friends or family, but she said to me from the word go, I am interested and I want to come to church. The carer claims that social services from the council, which also cannot be named for legal reasons, were aware that the girl was attending a Christian church, but her foster manager became incandescent with rage when she was baptized. Council officials advised the teenager to reconsider her decision and in November struck the care off the register, citing a breakdown of trust. The girl, who is now 17 and back with her family, who, who are thought to be unaware of her conversion, is supporting the woman's legal action, which is being funded by the Christian Institute. Mike Judge of the Institute said, I cannot imagine that an atheist foster carer would be struck off if a Christian child in her care stopped believing in God. This is the sort of double standard that Christians are facing now in Britain. The council in the north of England declined to comment on the sensitive issue surrounding a child. So apparently we've got a, we've got a Christian woman who, is a, who, who putting her faith into action is caring for foster children. I think that's a profoundly wonderful way of putting your faith into action, caring for those who need that type of help. And what was the crime that she committed? She's been struck off the register, sacked, fired, right? 
reprimanded, disciplined. For what? Well, because a Muslim child who she was caring for converted to Christianity. Notice it's not Sharia. By the way, isn't that interesting? Sharia law would uh, would would agree here, huh? I mean, because in Sharia law, it's it's against the law to convert to Christianity. That could get you killed in Saudi Arabia, right? So apparently now uh, the British government is doing the work of uh, Muslim imams in disciplining Christians who have either, uh, let's say, an active or passive role in, in helping a Muslim convert to Christianity. And despite the fact that the woman says that she actually tried to discourage the girl from converting, but apparently she was dead set on becoming a Christian and even going to the point of being baptized. To which I say, thank God that uh, we, we, this young woman is now part of the, of the family of God, part of the kingdom of God, that she, you know, we will be with her in heaven. And that uh, she names Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as her true Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for her sins. But uh, apparently this is now a crime in Great Britain. If you are a foster parent and you've got a child in your care and they convert to Christianity, you can expect to be taken off the rolls. You can expect to be sacked. You can be struck off. And the people there you know, the, that are in charge of the foster care program, they will go incandescent with rage. I like the language there. Um, <clears throat> interesting, huh? More signs of the times, um, and what are we doing about it? Well, in the Christian church in America, apparently we're not so dead set on, uh, the, on the importance of actually preaching the gospel or doing the work of proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins, because there's a church, a United Methodist Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, in the Grapevine area, that uh, they're doing a church sermon series on... Um, the Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> okay, this is from the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth NBC affiliate. And I apologize. This is the stereo on this is kind of funky. You, uh, I know as you're going to listen to this, you're going to hear they, they, they mix down the audio on this so that it, you know, something you hear one thing in one ear and another thing in another ear. I apologize in advance. But uh, here's the NBC news story of a, <laughs> of a church preaching about Super Bowl commercials. Thank goodness it comes once a year. Yeah. <laughs> Were they preaching on the World Series earlier? Anyway, here we go. In this house of God, Super Bowl ads are much more valuable than the $3 million it costs to put them on the air. Uh, apparently more valuable than the Bible, too. According to Pastor Ken Deem. The commercials are selling us things, and I want people in the church to think about what they're being sold and the messages and how that relates to their faith. The faithful and faithful football fans watched a recap of their favorite Super Bowl ads during Sunday's sermon, like this Hulu.com commercial where Alec Baldwin says TV turns your brain into mush. How could this possibly turn into a lesson about the Christian faith? What it got me thinking about is those habits that we have in our life that we know they're self-destructive, we know they're not good for us, but because we enjoy them, we still do them. <sighs> so the Hulu.com advertisement from the Super Bowl... 
it was a springboard into talking about those self-destructive habits that we all do. You know, <sighs> they're called sins, Pastor. You ever heard of them? Um, you know, review the Ten Commandments. They're called sins, and they make us guilty before God and deserving of his punishment and his wrath. Who will deliver me from my self-destructive habits? <sighs> and churchgoers have their own thoughts about it, too. Are we letting the media affect us and rule our lives, or are we able to rely on our faith to do that? Uh, that's kind of a dumb question. Are we going to let the media rule our lives? Apparently, they've taken over your the messages of your church. <laughs> I mean, if the media has created a commercial that airs on the Super Bowl and you're playing the commercial in your church and preaching about the commercials, don't you think that qualifies as the media taking over your life and your faith? I mean, it's not like... Christians have a Bible or anything to preach from, do they? The Super Bowl ads brought laughter and smiles to church members. Our first response is, I'm good. But churchgoers got the message. Many times we try to be very macho and say, oh, it doesn't bother. Everything's okay. When really it isn't okay and we need to understand that sometimes we can say, hey, we need some help too. Stop. Did you hear that? They're singing a song called Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalpost of Life. And they're singing this in church. Is this a hymn? Um, <laughs> I heard this and I literally thought, oh my goodness. We have now entered the Twilight Zone. It's just frightening. It's just... <laughs> okay, folks. Um, let me finish the story and I'll actually play for you. This wonderful new hymn called Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalpost of Life. Football season may be over, but this Sunday, Pastor Deem scored a touchdown with his congregants. Oh, groaner. Football humor. It was really good. You never think about that watching a Super Bowl commercial, just eating your chips and having a drink and to come here and say, wow, you know, maybe there's a message behind those commercials. Susie Solis, NBC5. Okay, so, oh man, <laughs> there's a message behind the commercial. I had no idea that there were Christian messages. Maybe they're backward masked into these Super Bowl commercials. It's uh, uh it's, buy Pepsi and become holy. Yeah, but isn't Pepsi owned by the Mormon Church? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm telling you this. So, I, anyway. I'm, so they have the, the footage there shows this guy with his guitar in front of the church singing a song called Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalpost of Life. Now, I went on the internet and found it. <laughs> um, apparently, <laughs> apparently, this is a song written in 1976 by a country and western singer by the name of bobby bear and uh, here's the original version of that song um drop kick <laughs> here we go um drop kick me jesus through the goalposts of life end over in neither left nor to right 
Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life yeah, soon to replace a mighty fortress is our God. Um, I mean, I can't wait till they put this one in the Lutheran hymnal. Make me, oh, make me, Lord, more than I am. Make me a piece in your master game plan. Free from the earthly tempestion below. I've got the will, Lord, if you got the toe. I've got the will, Lord, if you've got the toe. Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. End over in neither left nor to right. Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights. Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. Bring on the brothers who've gone on before. And all of the sisters who knocked on your door All the departed dear loved ones of mine and Stick them up front in the offensive line <sighs> Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life End over in neither left nor to right Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights Drop kick me Jesus through the heart of them righteous uprights. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. <sighs> Man. Oh. <laughs> Has the Christian church in America just collectively lost its minds? We're good. <laughs> oh, while they were singing this song in the church, apparently there's hand motions. <laughs> so, there you go. A new adventure in complete relevance and utterly missing the point of Christianity. The Let's learn these deep spiritual lessons of Super Bowl commercials. And while we're at it, we'll sing that rip-roaring hymn to Jesus. Drop kick me, Jesus. We, the Jesus with the big toe who can kick us through the goalpost of life. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> I heard the song, and I still don't get the metaphor. Oh, my goodness. Folks, if you understand what it means to be drop kicked to the goalposts of life, I can't even say it without laughing. For Jesus, or for Jesus to drop kick you, email me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm losing it. I, I got to go to the break. <laughs> you can email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's um, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com and uh, we'll be right back. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life 
End over end, neither left nor to right. Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights. Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. Available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. We're back after I've uh, composed myself after completely losing it. With the Drop Kick Me Jesus song. Oh my goodness. What has happened to the Christian church? John said that the uh, that sounded like a Dr. Demento song. I think he's right. Oh man. All right, we're going to switch gears here, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Gospel of Mark. We're up to chapter 9 today. And just want to remind you, the reason why we're working through our way through the Gospel of Mark is so, really, it comes down to just making you familiar with the story so that you can teach other people. If you think that uh, teaching the Bible is hard, if anything, I mean, I, I should probably be showing you that even somebody as stupid as me can pull this off. But... Uh, <clears throat> it's the idea of preach the word, let God's word do its work. And so we're working our way through the gospel of Mark to familiarize yourself with it and the stories, see some of the deeper themes that are going on in it and take this information and teach other people. If you are a father, uh, then when you're done with dinner tonight, open up the Bible and Luther's small catechism, if you have it, and open up to the Gospel of Mark and read it to your wife and to your children. 
And don't stop there. When you're at the end of this, find another story. Read, read, read God's word. Saturate them in God's word. Wash them in God's word. And believe me when I tell you, if you make yourself familiar with the scriptures, you're not going to fall for the Benjamin Dunn's, the John Crowder's, and these guys who think that you can find deep spiritual meaning in Super Bowl commercials. Instead, you're going to have a taste for the Word of God, and you're going to feed on the Word of God, and you're going to give your family a taste for the Word of God. And uh, and you'll protect yourself and your hearers and, and other people as well. So we read from the Gospel of Mark Chapter 9, verse 1. And he, Jesus, said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Uh, Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Again, notice... uh, you're going to see a common theme in scripture when you're reading through it. And that is that when we sinful human beings uh, come in contact with the heavenly, with the holy, God and his angels, God in his presence, Jesus here, it's just Jesus, Elijah and Moses, right? Elijah and Moses. When, when, when we come in contact with heavenly beings, we are scared spitless. Our knees are knocking. It's a terrifying thing. And when these knuckleheads like Todd Bentley and Patricia King and the Crowders and all these guys talk about God and his glory and stuff like that as if it's, you know, such a common thing and no big deal and, wow, you can soak it in. Here you have Peter, uh, James, and John. Uh, they, They were right there in the glory of Christ. Christ was transfigured and was there gloriously. For just a second, you know, you could he peeled it back and let his glory go. And he didn't see them lying on the ground and soaking in it. Instead, Peter was terrified to the point where he said something kind of stupid. Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Uh, let us make three tents, uh, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Do they need tents? <laughs> Peter didn't know what to say. He was terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. It said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So God the Father makes an appearance too, verbally. And then suddenly, without looking looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except for Jesus. So as quickly as it happened, it whooshed. It was all normal. You you ever seen movies where that happens, where something is out of control, kind of weird and freaky, and all of a sudden it gets real quiet and it's like back to normal again? Usually that's like in horror movies or something like that, or dreams. So this is kind of like a dream sequence in a way if it was a movie, but this was not a dream. They literally saw Jesus in his glory, and there talking with him was Moses and Elijah. Okay? And they heard the voice of the Father, and they were terrified. Now, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. 
And so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Jesus was speaking plainly to them, and they weren't getting it. They weren't seeing it. They weren't understanding it. Here Jesus is, I mean, he's not hiding at all what's going to happen to him. And they're sitting there going, what does he mean he's going to rise from the dead? You know, maybe it's like that parable of the sower. I, I don't know. What does it mean? All right. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they, they, whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And that, he's referring to John the Baptist there. So, so here they are. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. They're coming down. You know, Jesus was transfigured. They were terrified. Normal behavior for human beings in the presence of the holy. Okay. Um, which is one of the, you know, you ever watch the, uh, the civil war series by, uh, 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 on PBS, you remember that? The Ken Burns series. The Ken yeah. Burns. Yeah. 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 Fantastic uh, documentary. Incredible. Yeah. It just, I, I, I T-voted, you know, over the summer and I've probably watched it like a dozen times, you know, and when I have insomnia, sometimes I just put it on and, and let it play. But there's, there's a... There's a great segment in there where there's Shelby Foote, who's the author of a fantastic trilogy on the uh, the Civil War. If you haven't read Shelby, if you like Civil War uh, history, if you want a really, really fantastic set of books, uh, Shelby Foote wrote a, uh, really these really long books on the Civil War. And when you read through them, it takes, it takes like a year to read them. It's like an old friend by the time you're done. But uh, Shelby Foote was uh, was was asked about what do the rebel the rebel yell sound like, right? Because you know during the Civil War the the, uh, the the Confederates soldiers had what was called the rebel yell, and uh, he was talking about the fact that at one of uh, the UDC meetings, you know, after the war, um, United Daughters of the Confederacy is UDC. These gals had asked one of the Civil War veterans if if he could do the uh, do the uh, the rebel yell. And he basically said, "No, he you know he couldn't do it. You can't do it unless your stomach's empty, and you know, <laughs> you know, you're under these you know extreme circumstances." And so, but uh, the Union soldiers afterwards, they they would say that if you ever said that you heard the rebel yell and you weren't scared, then you never really heard it. I think in a similar way, if you say that you've experienced the glory of God and you weren't terrified, you didn't experience the presence of God, the glory of God. No way. Anyway, I, I just digress to bring that up. So we continue. So Jesus, they're coming down from the mountain now, and watch what happens here. <clears throat> when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Nothing coming, nothing like coming into a, a dramatic situation, right? Okay, so immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, uh, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Well, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Okay, so Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long... Am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus' rebuke has to do regarding faith. Okay. 
They brought the boy to him, and this is where the story gets a little bit weird. Watch this. He says, And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Okay, now, this is an interesting story at this point, you know, because here we got this argument going on. They couldn't cast it out. Jesus rebukes them for not having faith. Jesus goes to rebuke the spirit, and the kid falls down on the ground, and he's having a convulsion, or he's like a seizure, if you would, and he's foaming at the mouth. Okay, now, my two of my children have had seizures before, and believe me when I tell you, those these are not fun things to experience. Okay, when you have a child who is having a seizure or convulsing on the ground, usually everything stops and you tend to the child. Okay, the first time this ever happened, my my son had been bitten when he was five years old. He was bitten by a a, a spider, and you know he really had a terrible reaction to this spider. Uh, the spider bite and and one of the things that happened you know post spider bite was that he had a, he had a seizure and the first time that that happened my wife lost it okay i mean it was probably one of the most frightening and harrowing moments of of my young life at the time i'd never experienced or seen anything like it so here you have a child on the ground foaming at the mouth having a convulsion having a seizure okay and if you read the text, it makes it very clear that Jesus doesn't first tend to the kid. Okay, so while this kid is having this seizure and convulsing on the ground and doing this, okay, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? <laughs> so what is going on here? I mean, there's a kid on the ground here, Jesus, and he turns to the father and decides he's going to have a conversation with dad. So how long has this been happening? <laughs> and he said, uh, from childhood. <laughs> and it's often cast him into the fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and on us and help us. This is interesting. Notice that Jesus isn't just care, trying to care for the child. And his rebuke was about faithfulness, about having faith. Okay. A faithlessness, not faithfulness. Sorry. And Jesus is not just caring for the child. He's going to care for the father and he's going to help him with his faith. Okay. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if all things are possible for the one who believes. Notice it doesn't say all things are possible for the one who obeys. Okay, it says all things are possible for the one who believes. And understand, if this if this were scripted, okay, what's going on while they're having this conversation is this kid is on the ground convulsing. <laughs> you're right? Okay, and Jesus is having this conversation with the father as you know, and he's caring for the father. And what is so he says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Beautiful prayer. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Profound in its simplicity. Profound in its candidness. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together... Why? Because there's a kid having a seizure on the ground here. 
He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never to enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And that's a profound story regarding faith and unbelief. And it challenges all of us. Right? But I love the story because it shows that Jesus isn't just some, you know, dispenser of miracles. Oh, I'm here. I'm here, so let's heal these people and get on with it. No. This this father comes to be, you know, to have his child healed because he knows that Jesus can do something about it. He has that he he has that little bit of faith. And yet at the same time he's struggling with his own unbelief in the situation. Jesus knows this and he ministers to the father. Even while the son is having a convulsion and and you know, under most circumstances, this would be like a code blue situation. The doctors drop what they're doing and take care of this kid. And Jesus, he does the opposite of what any doctor would do today. And he goes to care for and heal the father, specifically really teasing out of him his unbelief and challenges him to have faith and trust in him. Beautiful, beautiful story of how Christ loves not just those he's healing, but also those who bring the, those who can be healed, to be healed. And his prayer, I do believe, but help my unbelief. That's a prayer I pray at times. And I know you probably do too. And yet Jesus invites us. He doesn't rebuke the father for his unbelief. Not in the real sense of the word, but rebuke. But he reassures that all things are possible for those who believe. Who believe What? those who trust and believe in Christ for their salvation. All right, we're going to switch gears here now. It's always fun going from something good to something bad, isn't it? No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, it doesn't get any more surreal than dropkick me Jesus through the goalpost of life. Um, yeah. Fun is not the word I would use. <sighs> all right, so, um, gentlemen, we've reviewed his uh, seminars before. Um, this one's a little bit more of a sermon, although I think this is something of a bait and switch. For the month of February, um, Goat Herder um, Chris Songson, who is also a life coach and motivational speaker on the side, uh, who is the head teaching person at uh, South Hills Church in uh, Corona, California, he's doing a seminar series called Obsession Igniting a Sacred Romance. Okay. It is February. Okay, it is February, and apparently that's the the, the purpose driven, seeker driven churches have a have a lectionary. They just don't won't admit it. They're very traditional. Is it the Hallmark lectionary? It's the Hallmark <laughs> lectionary, and uh, the sermons in the, the seminars in the series are are February first. He, he uh, the sermon was called Wild Lover. Um, the sermon series from the the weekend of February 8th was Adventurous Passion. We're going to be listening to that one. Uh, February 14th and 15th was Intimate Response, and the uh, February 22nd is Epic Story. So, you know, just based upon the artwork 
at his website and the way this is all it's pink and there's flowers and it doesn't this look like it has something to do with like valentine's day or something john you brought up a good point earlier today how come during valentine's day they don't have they don't show commercials where women are giving power tools to their husbands (laughs) You know, wait a second. If, if, if you understand what I'm saying here? I think you're right, John. I mean, you you mentioned that earlier today, and that's a great question. You know, wh- I mean, why is it that it's always the men having to give the women flowers? Why is it such a one-way thing? Isn't love a two-way thing? Yeah. <sighs> anyway. So their vestments are all pink? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, they don't they wear – no, they don't, they don't wear have vestments. vestments. No, yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't know what – Church calendars are, are no, are but the they d- they do have electionary and they do follow a church calendar, uh, yes, but yes. they wouldn't say that they do because they're but they're following the hallmark electionary. So the, the sermon we're, sermon art that we're going to be uh, reviewing is the one called Adventurous Passion, and the reason I picked this particular one is because I think it's interesting. Um, there's a little bit more theology in here than you would admit, or that you would you would admit that you would think is there at first blush. And um, and I think it's a very, very interesting thing, and which makes me wonder if, uh, what you think here. After, when you listen to this, ask yourself a question. Go, I mean, if, go to South Hills Church's website. I think it's southhills.org. I'll put a link up to their church uh, website at fightingforthefaith.com after the program today. And ask yourself if you think that this sermon constitutes a bait and switch, Okay. I mean, if you had if you had seen the artwork and had heard that they're doing a sermon series on, uh, you know, on this intimate romance kind of stuff, would you think that it was about human relationships or relationships with God? I mean, John, you saw the uh, the artwork. What do you think? Do you think that it was about human relationships or relationships with God? It looks like a human relationship. It, okay. it, it looks like a Valentine's it, card. It, it does look like a Valentine's card, so it looks like it has to do with human relationships. Okay, yes. and human romance. Yes. Okay. That being the case, I just you know I just wanted to interview the ordinary man on the street, or the ma- the ordinary man in the studio. That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> John, you're 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 extraordinary with oh. you though. Yeah. So um, what we're going to do here is we're going to start this sermon and just get your feedback on it. Here we go. Here's motivational speaker and goat herder Chris Hunkson. I want to welcome all those who are watching at one of our incredible campuses at Eastvale or South Campus. It's great to have you here. I want you to grab your outline and we are going to get right into our topic entitled Obsession. And we are in a great series uh, called Obsession. This is actually part two of Obsession and it's going to be an absolutely awesome series. We're enjoying it thoroughly. Now, let's do a little quiz here. How many have ever done anything adventurous? Let me hear you. Come on. Yeah. All right. Uh, by the way, I'm not raising my hand. I don't think I've ever done anything adventurous. Well, you know, I went whitewater rafting once. Does that count? Yeah. But yeah. I was young and skinny. I was in high school. <sighs> Kayaking doesn't count as adventurous. So you've never done anything life-threatening? Well, I drive. Is that... <laughs> I mean, there's yep, people the who... LA do... freeways? Yeah. I mean, isn't... Never mind. We continue. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Just... Uh, I like to find out who's done what, okay? Cliff diving. Anybody ever do any cliff diving? No. Okay, come on. Not at Corona Lake. Just something. 
A little more serious. Okay. Anybody ever do any bungee jumping? Anybody j- bungee jumpers here? There's a few. Bungee, gray. Bungee no. jump. Come on, people at the venues who respond as well at our campuses. Uh, let me see. Anybody ever hang glide before? No. Have you ever hang glide before? Okay. That's how you got to church. Good. Good. Uh, all right. Driven on the 91 freeway. Yeah, there's yeah, it. I've done that. I see. I've, I've driven the 91 freeway. I've driven the 91 But also. you know what? That's not really an adventure because the 91 freeway in, you know, in Riverside County, in Corona, they call it the uh, the world's largest parking lot. It's not much of an adventure. They, in fact, they, what do they call it? Club 91? Because you get to know the people next to you pretty well. Now, the 110 freeway in L.A. Okay. That, that's an that, adventure. That's an adventure. I, I, no, I agree with you. That old thing from yeah. from yeah. Pasadena into L.A. that right. goes right by Dodger Stadium. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. <laughs> that you take your life into your own hands. Now, I, I drove the, the Ortega Highway, which was the uh, one of the most dangerous roads in America. I rode, drove that for five years. I've driven it many times, right. hundreds of times. That, that's adventurous, isn't it? It's fun because you see animals. I, I've seen people leave the planet on that road. So oh, okay. we continue. Adventure, right. Yeah. That's the worst. Okay. Now, I love... My kids very much. And I love when they experience an adventure. Some of you think back, if you have a little bit older kids, to the moment that your children first saw Disneyland. I mean, and could appreciate it, you know, not as a two-year-old, but maybe as a five or six-year-old where they saw Disneyland. Do you remember that first time? Or the first time that they saw Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck? Or I remember the first time taking my kids. My son was about four, my daughter was five, and we took him to Chuck E. Cheese. And I'll never forget that. And my daughter screamed. My son kept going, tokens, tokens, tokens. No, I'm convinced that Chuck E. Cheese is actually located somewhere in about the seventh or eighth level of hell. <laughs> you know, it's one of the if, if there's if there's certain things that you do wrong in this life and you go to hell, that God will force you to spend eternity in Chuck E. Cheese. I'm I'm convinced of it. It was all a moment. There was this adventurous moment. I've had those with my kids. I've shared some of them before. I remember my daughter was about eight years old, and we went uh, snorkeling in Cancun. And I'll never forget it. We were out there in the wild just looking at colorful fish. You know how it is. Never forget it. I'm holding on to her hands. You know, it looks like the Prince of Tides. And I'm holding on to her hand, and we're kind of going along like this. Never forget it. And all of a sudden, about four feet under us was this ginormous stingray, the one with the wings. And just... You know, and I'm a little bit scared. I'm thinking, just stay still. It'll go right by us. And I can hear my daughter through her little snorkel. Daddy, daddy, you know, I'm all, don't move, you know, don't move. And I, I remember I shared with you last summer, we went to Maui and I, me and my son were out snorkeling really far out there. We both got stung by the same jellyfish. Isn't that great? I mean, family vacation. I mean, just so, you know, I've learned so much about Jesus through family vacations. Don't you? No. <laughs> John, just reach out with your spirit, man. The one with the womb. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, all the people on the island, I tell you how to take care of the sting. I'm like, and then they told me, I'm like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll pass on that way. Some of you know the method. Now, I love, I love seeing my kids do adventurous things because I love them so much. God is absolutely, positively obsessed with you. He is madly, radically obsessed with you. We learned last week, he is a wild lover. Okay, those are not the words that I generally use in talking about God's love. Does this guy not understand that uh, there's four different words for love in the Greek language, and eros is not one of the ones that describes God's love for us? And when you talk about God being a wild lover... 
in the English language in a 21st century context, the term wild lover, love generally takes on an erotic connotation. And uh, the idea that God has erotic or amorous thoughts towards me creeps me out. And it's not biblical. This is the kind of stuff that makes me go, you know, because there ain't no way I'm French kissing Jesus. Just he has crossed all eternity. He crossed the galaxies. He crossed the universe. He gave up being a right of a king to come to the earth to die for you because he just loves you so much. There is nobody ever, ever going to love you like Christ does. And because God loves you so much. He doesn't want your life just to be a life. He wants it to be an extraordinary life that is filled with adventure. Apparently, I'm not experiencing this love of God because I'm nerdy and play it safe. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, this is, this is where I want to pause for a second and have you pay close attention to something. The seeker-sensitive way of doing evangelism doesn't involve actually telling you of your reason why you need a savior okay they do not as a rule engage in telling you about your sinfulness nailing you to the wall with the law of god telling you about how you don't love god with all of your heart you don't love your neighbor as yourself that you are a lying cheating thieving adulterous murdering covetous person that you are a gossip, a cheat, all of the sins out there, and that you deserve God's eternal punishment for the sins that you have committed just today. Okay? They, as a rule, don't talk about that. Instead, what they do is they evangelize using what I call marketing methods of cost-benefit analysis. Okay? You ever, you ever compared two similar software packages that you were, pur you were considering purchasing for your computer? And, and what happens is, is that when you're considering you know, purchasing two different software packages, it's good to compare the features. And there, there's really slick marketers out there that understand that there are people who make decisions along these ways. And they'll, what they'll do is they'll do a side-by-side checkbox comparison you know, between Quicken and uh, Microsoft Money. In Microsoft Money, you have these features. And in Quicken, you get these features. And then you can decide, right? And, and the idea is to get you to decide based upon – the features that, that are most attractive to you or the, our product has more features for less money than that other product, okay? So watch what he's doing here. This is a very interesting marketing method, and you're going to hear full-blown Pelagianism where you, you're not sinful by nature and can't make a decision for God. Uh, you're not sinful by nature and you can make a decision. For, you're basically a good person, and we just need to give you the right reasons you know, to choosing God, and it's ultimately up to you to make a decision. Yeah, you're going to hear that today, too. So I want you to listen carefully for these themes. And every adventure always starts with what I call a defining moment. Help me out. Every adventure call, uh, uh, starts with what I call a what? A defining okay, a defining moment. There's always that defining moment. How many watched the Super Bowl last week? Okay, how many of your team won? Yeah, how many of your team lost? Okay, how many were rooting for the Cowboys? They were at home, but you rooted for them anyway, because I did. I was praying for them. Now, do you remember those last few seconds of the halftime? Okay, and then when the Steeler guy, the guy that weighed about 900 pounds, do you remember? And he caught the ball like the one-yard line and ran all the way back. To me, okay, everybody's got their opinion of the game, but that was a defining moment 
in the game. It was the defining moment. Mary Kay Ash in September 1963, she decided to empty out her $5,000 savings account and order a bunch of cosmetics and she was going to create the Mary Kay Cosmetics. 30 days before she was to open, her husband passed away while they were eating breakfast. Literally just passed away. Her accountant said, sell all the makeup. You don't have any life insurance. You don't have anything. You guys are in trouble. She decided at that point, it was a defining moment. Do I move forward or do I listen to my accountant that says, sell all the makeup. Your husband just passed away. You don't got no way to make it. Just get a regular job. She moved forward and the result were thousands and thousands of people's lives are creating income for it. She's made millions of dollars in her first year. In 1963, she made $250,000 just on her own. Incredible. But it was a defining moment. In her- I mean, imagine where we'd be without all of those pink Cadillacs. <sighs> okay. Um, I haven't heard anything about Jesus yet. We're four minutes, 55 seconds into this, and so far he's uh, talked about his family vacations. Bungee jumping. Bungee jumping and, uh, and swimming in the ocean with his daughter and um, Mary Kay. Yeah. All right. In our life, all adventure, all adventure begins with a defining moment. And God, the wild lover, wants your life to be an adventure. Really, where does it say that in the Bible? Yeah, God, I am sorry, but I am just not going to be able to adopt this language. God, my wild lover. Oh, that's not the relationship I have with God, nor is that the kind of love that God has towards me. They're just creeping me out. All right. Where does it say in the Bible that God wants me to have this adventurous life? (sighs) He doesn't want you just to have an average life. If you're a guest here today, he doesn't want you to have an average life. God's madly in love with you. You will never find someone that's more. Again, uh, madly in love, an American English colloquialism, right? And it generally implies erotic love. Right. I don't I don't say I'm telling you, folks, if I were in public at the grocery store with my 17 year old daughter and somebody overheard me saying to my 17 year old daughter, I am madly in love with you. There would be people knocking at my door wanting to have questions answered from me as well as my children. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not the right way of discussing God at all. More in love with you than God. And he wants you to have an unbelievable life. But there's a defining moment that has to take place. Now, in Acts chapter 9, there's a dude named Paul. Now, sometimes he's called Saul, and sometimes he's called Paul. In this version, he's actually called Saul. Now, when he in this version, before he became a Christian... Okay, uh, is he biblically illiterate? Saul was called... Paul was called Saul before he was a Christian. Okay, you kind of have pre-Christian Saul and post-Christian Paul. Now, he's going to mangle this uh, story, so, of course, I'm, I, I'm opening up my Bible, unsheathing my sword. In, in, that's kind of a stupid way of putting it, isn't it? And uh, we're going to... We're going to have to clean some things up here, but I will pay pay close attention to what he does with this and how he reads this passage. 
And he persecuted and killed some Christians. And God spoke to him one day on this road called Damascus and told him, hey, you need to stop killing these children. I've called you to do some great things for me. Now go and do some great things. God wanted to take Paul's life to be a great adventure. Let me read to you. Let me read the passage for you in context before Pastor Chris Songson mangles it. It's always good to... The nice thing about being able to do sermon reviews like this is that we can clean some things up for people. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. By the way, just prior to this, you got Stephen being stoned to death by you know, a mob in Jerusalem and them laying their cloaks at the foot of Saul, basically who was giving approval for killing, murdering, martyring Stephen for what? For confessing Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins one in him. And, uh, so we have Saul uh, still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, um, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there were disciples at Damascus. Uh, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. Okay, that's the conversion story of Paul, right? All right. Want to uh, interject that before we... Uh, before Chris Songson mangles it. So here we go. What happened? As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to to do when you get there. Now, interestingly enough, okay, here, here's this guy named Saul. He's going down. He's riding along probably on a donkey. You know, he gets just shown by this light. He falls to the ground and God kind of shows up on the scene and says, what in the world are you doing? It was what I would call a defining moment. Now it would look something like this. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to kind of draw on this board. Now here it is. Here's Paul's life. He's kind of moving along. Okay. You know, everything's going okay. And then there comes that point where there's kind of of a why in the road, okay? Is he going to go God's way or is he going to go his way? Stop. Is there any why in the road mentioned in this? Um, do, do you, where, where's the verse where Paul gets on his knees and accepts Jesus into his heart? It's not there. As I see the text and as I read the text, uh, God pretty much yanked Paul, one direction, basically said, all right, you, you know, you murdering persecutor of the Christian faith, I'm going to call you. And he calls him and knocks him off of his high horse and drags him into the kingdom of God. I don't see Saul making any decisions here. Are we going to do God's way or are we going to go his way? And there was this defining moment. There's what I call, now follow me on this. There's what I would call this intersection right here. This is the intersection right here. This is where he has to decide what is he going to do? Am I going to go with God's way or am I going to go his way? Now, in just a few minutes, not right now, but in about 15 to 20 minutes, I'm going to bring you to this intersection right here. And then you are going to have to make a choice. Am I going to do what God wants and live his big adventure for my life? Or am I going to live in uh, my, my life and it be less adventurous? What am I? This is exactly the same tactic that uh, those who people who sell life insurance or, or uh, timeshares do. Don't you? Isn't it? You have to sit through a timeshare presentation. That's what this feels like. I don't see no why in the road there. God knocked him off his high horse and then blinded him. He couldn't go anywhere. That's exciting. No, no it's not. No. And not only that, Jesus says that he's going to show him all the things he has to suffer for my name. Is that, is that an adventure? Suffering? Hmm. What am I going to do? Am I going to go with all God has for me or am I going to go what I have for me? It's an adventure. Now, Paul, because he decided to go God's way, he experienced an unbelievable adventure. The same adventure that God, the wild lover who's obsessed with you. An adventure. He experienced an amazing adventure. Uh, Paul and Barnabas' amazing adventure, right? Dude. <sighs> promises for you if you'll go his way. Everybody get it? Okay. Everybody get it? Okay. Now God promises this to you. So let's take a moment to look at it here. Okay. Let's take a look at it on your outline. The adventure of the wild lover. God is so wildly in love with you that here's what you get to experience if you make the right choice at this intersection right here. Dude, we are in a full-blown sales pitch here. But it doesn't say that here in the No, text. it doesn't. Again, Jesus said that he's going to show Saul the things that he has to suffer for his name. By the way, um, let's take a look at Saul's adventure here. Um, I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to do a little word search. Um, at sea. 
is the term I'm going to look for. It's in 2 Corinthians. Um, let me find it here. Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11. Um, let's see here. Uh, all right. Paul speaking. Um, listen to his adventure. Uh, he, he's talking about the super apostles and the fact that you know that you know that he's just a fool compared to them. He says, "Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death." Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and he's not talking about being high there. That means the people threw rocks at him until he stopped moving. Three times I was shipwrecked at, at, at a night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, and danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak, and who is made to fall and I am not indignant. Does that sound like this incredible adventure? I mean, I mean it doesn't sound like Disneyland. It doesn't sound like <laughs> bungee jumping. You know, this this guy was constantly in danger of being killed. You know, wiped off the planet. All right, let's see if this is how he's going to pitch Christianity to this group of people who've come here and he's selling them. And remember, he got them in by talking about this the the sermon series that's supposed to be it that looks like it's about love between uh you know humans instead he's creeping me out with this god who's my wild lover <sighs> we continue okay here's the choice okay the first hour here's the benefit number one i want you to write this in everybody write it even if you're a guest here today come on take some notes with me let's have some fun the adventure here's the benefits the adventure of personal increase now what? everybody i what? know <laughs> what the adventure of personal increase. I didn't see that in Paul's list of the adventures that he went through. All right, we continue. Everybody I know wants personal increase. Okay, I'm not talking about money, though that wouldn't hurt either. Everybody get it? They're waving a dollar bill. I got it! Okay, everybody wants personal increase. Okay, who, who wouldn't, if I walked up to you and said, how would you like your marriage to be better? Oh, I'm in. How would you like your sex life, your intimacy to be better? I'm in. How many would like your, to have more joy in your life? I'm in. How many would like to say, I'd like to have more peace in my life? I'm in. Okay? All these persons, we all want personal. I can't imagine coming up to you. Do you want better love life? Do you want a better peace and more joy? No. Is he seriously pitching the Christian faith as going to give you these things? Please tell me I'm mishearing this. I'm not mishearing this, am I? Okay, John, stop shaking your head depressing me. We continue. I'm just going to go the way I'm going. There's no way. There's no way. Now, Paul, Paul's at the intersection right here. He said, okay, God, I'll go your way. And he went his way. Now look what Paul wrote about the increase that he had his life. These are Paul's words. Ready? 
He said, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is what Paul experienced. Now read them with me. It's on your outline. It starts off with the word love. There's nine of them. Ready? Love. Everybody out loud. Joy. Next one. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. This is what God is saying. He's saying, look, I want to bring all these things into your life. If you would just... That, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Um, Paul didn't... He never preached the gospel in a way where he taught, told people about cost-benefit analysis. The, the, the list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit was a letter written to Christians, not to non-Christians. And these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and they're a little bit intangible. I'm going to back the, up just a little bit so you can hear his next statement in context. So bear with the repeat, but here we go again. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what God is saying. He's saying, look, I want to bring all these things into your life. If you would just, at this intersection, choose me. If you, He keeps on talking about this choice you have to make. Right. Can can you point that part out in the scripture where, no, where the, he made a choice? No, see that's the problem. This is actually Pelagian the Pelagian heresy uh in action. I know folks that uh many of you believe that you you made a decision for Jesus, but actually that's not what the scriptures teach. Um let me read a passage of scripture for you. Um uh, John chapter 1 um I'm going to read this in context because this is just a beautiful passage. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the decision of man, but of God. Okay? We don't choose God. God calls us and chooses us and draws us to himself. Let me read a little bit more here because I know that this will be challenging for some people. Um you know, Jesus himself says this, um, John chapter six, I'll read verses 43 and 44. And I encourage you to go back and read it in context. Jesus answered the, uh, the Jews do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to the father unless the father draws him. We don't make a decision for God. God chooses us and draws us to himself calls us to the preaching of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins, gives us faith through the preaching of the gospel. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, which we're all familiar with, it says that we are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. What's the it in that passage? Faith and salvation is a gift from God. Even the ability to believe, repentance and faith is a gift from God. We don't choose God. God chooses 
us. And the passages bear that out over and over and over and over and over again. But this guy is pitching Christianity not based upon repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Right? Okay, this isn't the message of the repent of repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is what's in it for me. Yeah, if you choose, you'll get rewards here on earth. Right. This this adventurous life. Yet this is not how Paul came to the faith at all. And we just read about Paul's adventures all the times he was nearly killed. You would just say, okay, God, I choose you with all that I have. You're obsessed with me. You died on a cross for me. You crossed the galaxy for me. I'm in, God. And begin to follow him in a deep and real way. If you would do that. This is what Paul said happened for him. He got more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faith. No, he did not say it that way, Pastor. Um, he did not. Uh, more gentleness and more self-control. He got nine unbelievable things that happened for him. The same thing that's offered to you and I. You're, many, many years ago. So, see, if you just make the decision for God, because God crossed the galaxy for you, and he's your wild lover, um, then you can get these nine things that uh, Paul got. Even that is misleading because the passage that he's referring to is a list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> I lived up in Sacramento and I was a pastor at a very, very, or the, uh, one of the pastors, there was 23 of us, it was a very large church and uh, had like 65 acres and uh, just, an, just a ginormous church. They had trams to bring the people in and stuff. And uh, because I was a low man on the board, I was in charge of the tram. No, um, Get off in the G section for God. No, uh, but I was, uh, but, but it was awesome. It was an incredible church. And, uh, we had this radio show for the youth program and we got to go on the radio all the time and stuff. And, uh, I remember going in there for the very first time, me and my friend Donnie. And so we, we put on these headsets like this, you know, we had the little speakers we were to talk into and it was like a 7am show or something. And people would call in and blah, 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 and ask us questions about raising teenagers. You know, I was 21. So I had all the answers and stupid, you know? I don't know what we were thinking. But anyway, so I totally blew it. A woman asked me a question on the air, and instead of saying the word fornication, which means sex outside of marriage, I said fornification on the air, like a moron. You can't fornicate. Fornification, you know? She said, sir, have you taken an English lesson? I said, no, I ain't. You know, I'm just, it was horrible. I'll never forget on the way, on the way back to our house, we pulled through McDonald's and he pulls through the drive-thru and we get a little food and he pulls up to the stoplight and he says, and he's holding this little Egg McMuffin and his coffee in his hand and he's kind of driving and I'm sitting there. I'll never forget. He goes, I'll go ahead and pray. I said, okay. And we're at the stoplight. He goes, Lord, thanks for the food and sorry about this morning. It was awesome. <laughs> totally apologizing to God. It was so cool, you know? And I look back at my life and I'm thinking, wow, God, you have allowed me to do a lot of cool things, whether it was being on the radio or whether it was, uh, 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 uh you know, traveling or doing certain things just two months ago, having the opportunity of being one of very few pastors invited to have this big meeting with a bunch of congressmen at the White House that was four doors down from Dick Cheney's office. I remember using the restroom. I didn't even have to go, but I thought, I'm going to use the White House restroom. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It was ugly. I, I mean, I just, it was not all decked out. It was like, wow, I look like a school, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I walk in there, use the rest of my time, and I'm talking to this guy, and he, and he looks at me, I'll never forget it, and he looks at me and he goes, did you ever think that you'd be in the White House having a meeting. And I said, no, I never thought that. I, Chris Songson, never thought that. But God, way back here when I was growing up and I made that decision at the intersection that I would follow God in my own life, 
He had it in his plan the entire time. He was not shocked that it wasn't God. Who was going, wow, what are you doing here? He was not shocked. God knew that I would be there. Why? Because he had a big adventure plan. He has purpose for my life. That- <sighs> and if you just make the right decision, God might actually have you have a meeting in the White House too. You know, John, you and I are on the radio right now. <laughs> Doesn't this look adventurous to you? No, no, no. No, I'm wearing headphones. Yeah, and they're kind of itchy. To my mic, it doesn't look cool. <laughs> right, and I'm a nerd. So this is your big anti-adventure. It's a yeah. job. Oh boy! All right, we continue. That's personal increase. He's got meaning and significance. He's got more love and joy and peace. He wants to bring in my life, and the same he wants to do for you. You can say, well, I'm going to come to this intersection and I'm going to go this way. I don't know why you would, or I'm going to go this way. But if I decide to go this way with all I've got, not just kind of come to church, I mean, with all that I've got. Oh, wait, it's not just a decision, but it's a decision, decision that you have to make with all that you've got. That's, that's going to be deadly down the road later for those people who decide to go, uh, you know, the God direction, because later they're going to be wondering, maybe I didn't decide sincerely enough maybe i didn't mean it enough you know because they're going to struggle with their own sin and their problems but of course don't worry chris songson he's not going to make you feel guilty for your sins he's just going to gum you to death with the law rather than actually bite your head off with it um but your your life may not get better you may not have this great adventure you might still live have to end up dwelling in a cubicle counting beans all day long or answering emails or or putting up with that really gross, disgusting, terrible person of a boss that's over you. Doesn't that sound adventurous? Who smokes? You know, I don't... You know, if he smoked a pipe, that would be one thing. But cigarettes... Anyway, we continue. All of a sudden, this increase comes that I thought I would never experience in my whole life. Let's go to number two. See, that proves that he made the decision with his whole heart, doesn't it? Let's go to number two on your outline. And uh, actually, let me read something to you as you go to number two. We're going to go to number two in just a minute, but let me read something to you. There is, we've heard the story of Paul. Just time out here. We've heard the story of Paul and he went this way. You heard a little bit about saying, hey, man, God, why am I in the White House? Here's a story of someone right here. In- Did you just hear that? You heard the story of Paul and you heard the story of me in the White House. So he's equal to Paul. Apparently. Our church, they may be sitting in the same row that you're sitting in right now. Here's what they wrote. When I was 27 years old, this is a letter to me. They wrote it about their testimony about what God's doing in their life. They might be sitting right here with you. When I was 27 years old, my life changed completely. I had been married at the time for seven years and had two small children. My husband and I had been having problems for quite some time and we were headed for divorce. I was confused, scared, and felt very alone. After emptying out our bank account and leaving me nothing, he moved out. I had no idea what I was going to do since I had not worked the entire marriage. What kind of job would I get? Who would watch my daughters? How will I make enough money to support us? And then I met Brad Pitt, and he offered to marry me and, and, and rescue my children from poverty. It was this time, it was at this time, I cried out to Christ to come into my life. In the days following, God began to restore. He pulled me out of the depression I was in, and I began to take action. I applied at a temp agency, and within a few days, I was hired to work in an office. With my kids' school schedule, the hours could not have been more perfect, but unfortunately, it was not enough money for us to make it, and I had to get a second job as a waitress. Over the next few years, God met our needs, although it was hard. Over time, I got promotions, and soon, 
I was down to just one job and it was meeting our needs. God has helped me in so many areas. I now put all my trust in him. He strengthens me, helps me. You know, I got to stop for a second. Um, do you need a crucified savior for that? I mean, aren't there lots of people, aren't there lots of stories of people who were down and out who went and did something and their life changed for the better? You remember Drew Carey, that, that, what was that show that he was on? I forget. But I mean, I remember reading a biography of Drew Carey while sitting in the lobby of, of Supercuts one day. Because I guess he was like in People Magazine or whatever. Apparently that he was a down and out kind of guy. And he went to the library and got a bunch of self-help books. And he became like a self-help guru type of person, you know. And he really bought into it. And his life changed. He, the guy had a, tel- a couple of television shows, was a hit. Now he's, isn't he like the host of The Price is Right now or something? Yes, he is. Okay. I mean, this was a guy who was practically homeless living on ketchup packets, you know, from McDonald's. Yeah, without a, barely a couple pennies to his name, and um, I, the last time I checked, he's not a Christian. And the inspiration for his life were these self-help books. I mean, what do you need Jesus for? I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can experience it. What was that? Uh, oh, never mind. Let's continue. Through financially, he guides me in raising my children in a Christian home. I've got inner peace, which I know comes from him. I got great relationships with my daughters. And I often receive many compliments about how respectful and well-mannered they are. No sin. No sin. No repentance in the forgiveness of sins. Christ said, go and preach repentance in the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. Is this repentance of sins being preached? Is this the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name being preached? No. You know what? We, we're all familiar with the prosperity gospel, Okay. The, the 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 charlatans on Trinity Broadcasting Network and God TV, you know, telling you that you know if you send in a seed offering, then God will multiply it a thousand times, you know, and you'll get boats and cars and and whatever, right? This is kind of like the gospel, the prosperity gospel light, but it's not really the prosperity gospel. It's more like kind of the the successful life gospel. It's it's similar but different. The themes are still though. If you make the right decision, if you believe enough. If you if you really meant it when you decided to do it God's way, when you came into the Y and you rode and you went out and chased after God's way with all of your heart, then you can have these – look at these – you can have peace. You can have a better job. God will meet your needs. You'll have a better sex life. Those are the things that he was talking about, right? Oh, yes. Okay, so this is pure cost-benefit analysis. What decision are you going to make? You'd be a fool to go the other way. They are. I give all the glory to God. None of this would have been possible without him. Hey, folks, I'm not just talking about Paul in the Bible. I'm talking about someone that may be sitting in the same row with you. Personal increase. They talked about peace. They talked about a joy. They talked about better relationships, God meeting their needs. Why? Because they came to an intersection in their life and they chose God. They said, you're the passionate lover, God. You're obsessed with me. I follow you. And they began to follow him in incredible ways. And look what God has done. Only God can bring this life change. Everybody get it? That's what it is. It's the life change gospel. It's not the biblical gospel. This isn't Christianity that you're hearing. So the uh, parable of Jesus with the lost sheep. Yeah. The sheep, once it was lost, it made a decision to find the shepherd, right? Uh, No, it didn't. No. No. Jesus did something really ridiculous. He left the, the 99 sheep and went to chase after the lost sheep. And when he found it, he picked it up and put it on his shoulders and carried it back. Oh. I thought might have made a decision to go find a shepherd. No, no. Oh, okay, it didn't. 
Don't get biblical on me, John. All right, we continue. All right, let's go to number two. That's what God can do. Let's look at number two. Number two is this, the adventure of rising above. The adventure of rising above. Now, we're all going to face tough times. How many have ever faced a financial tough time? Maybe you're facing one now. How many have ever faced a marital tough time or any kind of relationship? Any kind of relationship. A personal issue. We've all faced it. And unfortunately... This literally is the quintessential example of a purpose-driven, changed life gospel pitch. This is it right here. This is the natural, logical outcome of the purpose-driven life book and Rick Warren's philosophy and methodologies. It's very interesting. This is the most crass I've heard it presented, but it's pinnacle, quintessential, and it's wrong, and it's not Christianity. There's no repentance. There's no remorse. There's no contrition. There's no forgiveness of sins. It's all make the decision so that you can get. Ultimately, this is not deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. This is, I want more. I want all of these things. I want the better stuff. I want, I want, I want. It's me, 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 me. And Jesus is going to be my big sugar daddy, my wild lover, who's going to make my life better. Wow. We're not done facing them because Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said in this world, you're going to have trouble. We're all going to have trouble. We're all going to have issues. We're all going to have things that happen inside of our life. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. It's what I call the God factor. When I decide, okay, God, I'm going to walk with you. I get a strength that this way doesn't provide. I get a hope that this way doesn't provide. I get a guiding that this way doesn't provide. And let me throw... So you get a hope and a guiding and wow. I mean, why would you make a decision to do otherwise? Throw one more thing out for you. Because I choose to walk with God, I get the opportunity of a miracle. I'm not saying that happens every time, but let me tell you one thing. Okay? Maybe someday, as you, if you decide to walk with God, there'll be a miracle in cancer. You'll get cancer and God will heal you. And you'll say it had to be. Well, that's prosperity gospel, full blown right there. Wow. Be God or your friend or a family member. You'll have a financial miracle. See, but see, it's, it's a miracle based upon the fact that you made a decision. It's, it's, it's not really God. Get, it's God owes you because you, you, you made the decision with all your heart and you, you believed enough or you, 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 you meant it with all your heart. And you know it was God. You'll have a real estate or business miracle, and you know that it was God. Now, if I choose to go this way, I remove even the potential of a miracle. Are you following me? Everybody- really? Yeah. Oh, I, I better I better make the other decision because I, I, you know, miracles are an option for those who make the right decisions. But if you don't make the right decisions, you know, miracles are just not possible for you. You know, there's a lot of wealthy people who are not Christians. A lot of healthy people who are not Christians. A lot of people who are not Christians who go to the doctor and um, have the benefit of medical treatments that seem very miraculous. I mean, one day they're, they're dying of cancer, and the next day they're completely in remission. And they don't believe in Christ. They didn't make a decision for him. Everybody get it? Okay, come on. Everybody get it? Okay, if I go this way, I, I absolutely remove the potential of a miracle. I mean, who's going to do the miracle for me? You know, uh, Mother Nature? It's not going to happen. 
Who's going to do the miracle for me if I get out God? So here's my point. When I go with God, I can rise above. When I'm facing a situation, I know that I can make it. He- this is the most manipulative sales pitch I've heard in a long time. <laughs> He's selling God. Wow. He gives me strength. He gives me hope. He gives me encouragement. I know that I can make it. And here comes the great one. I have an opportunity to see a miracle. It's not guaranteed it's going to happen. And if you act now, we'll even throw in a free set of Ginsu knives <laughs> and one of the sham wow chamois. But without him, it's guaranteed it won't. I have the potential of a miracle with God. Look what Paul, let's go back to the words of Paul. Look what Paul went through. Talk about rising above, the adventure of God rising you above. Look what it says. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Oh, he's reading the list that I read. See, now, wait a second. You mean I, uh, I, I might get whipped? That doesn't sound like any fun. Three times I was beaten with rods. That doesn't sound like any fun. Once I was stoned. Okay, that's not a college thing, so stay with me on that one. Um, somebody going, ah, me too. <laughs> I caught some of you. All right. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. No, wait, wait, wait a second here. He talked about miracles and, and a better life and a better sex life. I, 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 huh? And that's because he made a choice. Right. He, uh, that's right, with all of his heart. <sighs> I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who... I can't wait to hear him spin this to the positive, right? Claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And he goes on to say, but in... You know, the people... You know, when you go to one of those uh, the, those things where they're selling timeshares, many times they, you know, they, they hook you by offering you something for free that you can't get until you've actually heard the pitch, Right. I know a couple of people who actually attend these things semi-regularly because they get they give away some pretty decent stuff. I'm wondering if the people attending this church service, you know, they're, they're going to get some lovely parting gift, you know, even if they don't make a decision for Jesus that day. All of this, God helps me rise above. He says, I've gone without, I've suffered, I've went through bad times, but with God's help, I was able to get through. What? Hold on a second here. We just read this passage. I don't recall anything about rising above. Do you? All right. Hang on a second here. Okay. Let's see. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Okay. In danger from false brothers. Okay. Who is weak and I am? Okay. So any. Uh, let me read the tail end of this. In toil, in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all who, for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is not made to fall and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under the king of Arteus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Nothing in there about rising above. Hmm. I detect that he has um, mangled God's word. That's a serious crime, by the way, in God's sight. 
But let me back this up. So watch how he slips in that rising above thing. Tries to sneak it into the text. Here we go. In the deserts and on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And he goes on to say, but in all of this, God helps me rise above. He says, I've gone without, I've suffered, I've went through bad times, but with God's help, I was able to get through. Okay, I didn't see it in that chapter. Maybe it's in the next chapter. Hang on a second here. Yeah, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who is... For... He doesn't go on to say anything like that. It's not in the next chapter either. Wow. So he's making up scripture? He's taking two verses... He's taking two passages and ripping them out of context and then sticking them together. This is a technique that, that a lot of people are capable of doing. And this is why our three rules for understanding the Bible are context, context, and context. If I were to take two passages of Scripture and rip them out of context and then stick them together, then I can make the Bible say anything. An example, you can take the passage of Scripture that says, Judas went and hung himself. And then you could take another passage of Scripture that says, Go thou and do likewise. And see, the Scripture now teaches suicide. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But see, no. no, no. Right. See, all right. We continue. What is the adventure? What's the adventure God wants to take you on? The adventure of personal increase. More love, joy, and peace than you've ever experienced in your life. And purpose. What's the adventure he wants to take you on? Hey, and, and purpose. <laughs> when you're going through a hell in your life, God's going to lift you right above that. But without him... Okay? It's not going to happen. God may do a miracle in your life that you would look and say, it's a miracle. It isn't going to happen without him because only God can do that stuff for you. Only God can pull you through that stuff. I've seen miracles in my life. I've shared this before that uh, my wife and I, we believe in tithing. This 10% belongs to God. We give it. We tithe it no matter what. doesn't matter how broke we are. If $10 comes in, a dollar belongs to him. If 10000 comes in, a 1000 belongs to him. doesn't matter what it is. So make it's a decision and tithe. Make a decision, make a decision and tithe, and, and then these miracles happen. Well, many, many years ago when our kids were just real young, maybe one and two years old, we were going through a really hard time financially and, and uh, weren't getting paid very much and working at a church and one of the associates there. And a long story short, we, I looked at the checkbook early in the morning, I was six in the morning, wept over it. And uh, you, you, you know, you've been there, haven't you? I'm like, can you believe this? And I looked at it and I knew I had to pay some bills. I had to pay my car. It kept getting a flat and I knew it was going to cost me like 150 bucks to fix that. And there was like $300 in registration that I had to have done. That was like $450 worth of car work that had to be done. That morning, big old church, long story short, that morning after one of the services, a guy comes up to me. I don't even know who he is. Don't even know who he is. There's multiple services, big church. Guy comes up to me, hands me a check and says, I was praying about you this morning. Your car came to my mind. And God told me to give this to you. It was for $500. And see, all because he made a decision. God met the need. What do you think I did? The next week, I kept following around. God say anything else? <laughs> boat? Is there a boat somewhere in the future? Now, you can sit there and go, well, that's just a coincidence. Pfft, I say no way. Absolutely not. That's just God saying, see, Chris, when you say yes to me. This is the evangelism timeshare method. I swear this is what this is. I'll take you on an adventure and you know it's me. That's just what he does. If you'll say yes at the intersection. Okay, let's go to the. Oh, man.
no law, no gospel. This isn't the good news of the forgiveness of sins. This is the good news of a better life, of abundance, adventure. Wow, this is a different gospel. Let's uh, uh, actually let me read something to you. One more story. Here's a great story from someone in our because uh, these stories are just equal with the Bible, right? Uh, another person in our, the Bible is nothing but a bunch of stories of people who made the right decision and had miracles happen in their lives. In our church might be sitting in the same row with you right now. This is another person learning to rise above and watching God rise above in their life. Let me read it to you. When I was nine years old, my parents divorced, and it wasn't long after that my dad passed away from a. Bl- this is the same. These. Are, this is exactly what these. TBN guys do with their with their testimonial emails and letters. It's exactly the same thing. But what's being pitched here is not a bigger house, a mansion, a Mercedes Benz, and you know, and and a trophy wife. Instead, what you're getting is you know God meeting those needs in your life, the successful, changed life. This is prosperity gospel light. It's purpose driven prosperity gospel. Blood infection due to a heroin needle. This person's right in our church. As a younger person, matter of fact, they're here tonight. I just saw. And if you if you make a decision right now, we'll throw in a free prayer hanky that Pastor Chris Songson has personally blown his nose into that will give you healing miracles in your life. All you have to do is smear the snot all over your face, and God will heal you of uh, of your diseases. Um, as a younger person, I was very bitter at him because I felt he put his addiction before our family. A few months after my father's death, my mom moved us with her new boyfriend. From age 11 to 13, he would molest me on a regular basis. I was so scared and alone and felt very empty inside. One night, I got up the courage to tell my mom about him molesting me, and they shortly and shortly thereafter, we moved out. I was angry, bitter, resentful toward my father who had died because of his addiction and toward my mother who moved me into a house where I was molested. When I was 16 years old, I was in a relationship with a 21-year-old, and at age 18, I became pregnant with our daughter. It was then that I finally realized I needed a change. I needed to ask Christ into my life. I gave my life fully to Him. I became a brand new person inside. I was no longer filled with anger, resentment, and bitterness. He changed all of that. It doesn't really talk about sin and repentance and Christ's forgiveness. Just this, I needed to make a change and, and Christ came and made things better. Christ, the fixer of cosmic boo-boos. <sighs> I'm not focused now on the past. I'm focused on the future and what He's doing in my life. And I'm committed to follow Him every single day. Okay, this is a person that came to a place of an intersection. Life wasn't going that well and came to a place of an intersection and said, okay, God, so far life isn't going well. Let me give you a try. And God began to turn things around. And I know this person, and God has radically turned this person's life around. That's life change, folks. That happens. The adventure of God taking an ugly life and making it good. God taking a normal life and making it better. God taking an above-average life and making it excellent. That's just what He does. There's no repentance and no forgiveness of sins here. Nothing about Christ dying for your sins. Nothing calling you to repentance and remorse for the evil and the wicked that you've done. It's just you need a you've uh, you've come to the why in the road and you need to make a decision, make or break, and you need things to be better. And God, and just make the decision. The God factor is going to make the, all the difference in the whole world, and you can have a better life. And there are Christians in China who are being shot. 
for confessing Jesus as Savior. Because he's wildly and madly in love with you. Everybody get it? Good. All right. Let's go to the third and final one. The adventure of meaningful significance. That's another thing that Paul experienced. The adventure of meaning. Meaningful significance? You've got to be kidding me. This is, this is satanic. This is me, 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 me centered. This isn't denying yourself. This is feeding self. I want significance, Lord. Full significance. You know, there was an interview done with elderly people. They were all, all the people that they interviewed were 90 and above, 90 years old and above. And they asked them this question. What is the number one thing that you regret the most? You know what the number one answer came back from these people that lived longer than any one of us? That they even listened to one of your sermons. Sorry, I couldn't help that. The number one answer was I didn't do enough things that were significant. I, I regret not investing my life in something that was significant. They were, because you know why? God created every one of us for significance. You can't avoid that. You were created... Good night. Itching ears. I mean, turning aside from the truth, they're believing myths. This is mythology. This is not Christianity. For significance. God made you. And unless you decide right here at this intersection, I'm going to walk with God and, and serve this great person, who God who's obsessed with me, then you'll never experience the significance. And at the end of your life... Oh, okay. Wait a second. Gandhi, did he do something significant? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was his religion? Hinduism. Huh. That's interesting. How is that possible? Did Thomas Jefferson do anything significant, you know, like authoring the Declaration of Independence? Yes. Do you know that he was anti-Christian? He was a deist, and he was vehemently against the doc- the, the against Christianity and, the, and this idea that you were a sinner that needed a savior. You know that? He didn't oh, believe yes, in any yeah. miracles. He did something pretty darn significant. Did you know that? Oh, I, I have heard. Yeah. How about John Adams? You know, they just did an HBO thing on him, you know, last year. You know, he was pretty much anti-Christian, too. He was a Unitarian Universalist. He did something significant, too. You know, he was the second president of the United States, wasn't he? But he, this Songston's saying that unless you make this decision, you don't get to do nothing significant in your life. You can't have these miracles. And this is just the worst sales pitch I've ever heard. And it's not even accurate regarding Christianity. You'll do what these 90-year-old people are doing, and they're saying, I regret it. God created you. The Bible says you are his workmanship created for good works in Christ. You- okay, you oh, you cannot quote Ephesians 2.10 without Ephesians 8 and 9. That's, oh, that's terrible. Just, you know, sometimes you just got to, snake oil is the, the, the word that comes to mind here. See, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in, that we should walk in beforehand, right? Who is that written to? Oh, I know, Christians, not unbelievers. He's quoting it as if this is some kind of a cost-benefit analysis. But read the story. It was starting in cha- chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
little bit of law preaching there on Paul's part. Pastor Chris Songson seems to have skipped over this important part of the context of that verse. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, and this is not this erotic love that Songson's talking about, um, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one might boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Very different when you read it in context, compared to what he was just saying that passage said. Amazing. You were created for God to do something great in your life. Created for that reason. I've told this one before. Sorry, but it's been years since I've said it, but it was, man, it was like before our kids were born. And my wife and I were just married for a couple of years. We went with some friends to Lake Arrowhead. And we had a little car. We drove up this car. And we're driving around Lake Arrowhead. And we ate some lunch, blah, blah, blah. And we stopped at a garage sale. Now, it's odd having a garage sale at a cabin, but they did. And my wife sees this old broken down chair. And the upholstery, the, the wood's kind of cool looking, the way it's all shaped, kind of old, but the upholstery was disaster, all ripped up and ugly and smelly. And she bought this chair. And I was like, what are we going to, where are we going to put this thing? We're driving a Honda Accord. And she's like, well, she goes, oh, we'll put it on the top. We got the chair for two bucks. It was two fifty, but she talked him down. $2. And she puts it on top of this Honda Accord and then we strap it down. I want you to picture a Honda Accord coming down Lake Arrowhead with a big chair on top. Do you know what music was playing in my head? Let me tell you a little story about a man named Jeff. That was, was the Beverly Hillbillies was right there at Lake Arrowhead. Now, she went, she paid some money and had this guy reupholster it. And this guy, the creator of the chair, the guy that kind of reupholstered it, if you will, that, that kind of creator, he created it to be something beautiful. It ended up being absolutely gorgeous. People would come in and go, wow, what a gorgeous chair. Now, people would look at it, they would sit in it, they would admire it, it had beauty, it was comfortable, it looked incredible. And it was all because the creator of it, not the creator of the chair, but the creator of the one that upholstered it, began to make it that way. He made it to be beautiful. He made it to be comfortable. He made it for people to sit in. Okay. The creator made you for a reason. And if you just sit there and you go through life and you say no at the intersection and you don't follow God and the one that's obsessed with you, the wild lover, you're going to stand at the end of your life and it, it will never be what it could have been. There is significance and purpose and meaning that God has for your life that no one else can give you. No one else can give you that. Now point this out here uh, again. This is a bait and switch. Because all the artwork, is, if the name of the sermon series is Obsession, Igniting a Sacred Romance. <laughs> and what have we got? We have got literally a schlocky life insurance, time, you know, timeshare sales pitch. No repentance, no sins, no forgiveness of sins. All cost benefit and some statements that are outrageous. And apparently the sacred romance... Well, that's with your new wild lover. 
that kind of meeting. That's why I love our risk project that we're all going in on here in the last few weeks for the next three years, feeding 75,000 people. That's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to educate a thousand kids and, uh, and give them an education and give them a place to live. We're going to help churches that are smaller and help them grow. We're going to do all sorts of things that are absolutely incredible. Because we want to know that our life counts because at this intersection we're saying yes. Do you know that there are a few kids here in our church, 17 and about average 17, 18 years old. And these kids, uh, they, uh, you might have seen them walking around the church. They're walking around the church barefooted. They're seniors in high school. They're walking, there's like, they start off with three or four of them and now it's a whole bunch of them and it's spread beyond our own church. And you know what they've done? They've, they've taken a risk, just like we are as a church, our kids in our own church. They're, they, they're walking around with shoes because they're bringing awareness that, that 30 million people don't have shoes somewhere in the world. And so they're collect, so all of a sudden they started bringing awareness, people started giving them shoes. And so as they began to give them shoes, they began to collect these shoes. Matter of fact, we have a team from our own church going to Africa next week to take some of those shoes over there. Uh. ABC News got a hold of this story, and they're doing a story on it this week about kids in our church that are bringing awareness to those people that don't have shoes. That's because right over here, they said yes to the intersection. Matter of fact, a little time out. If you've got some extra shoes at your house, bring them next week. We'll have some bins here. We're going to collect them, and we're going to put some shoes on people that don't have shoes. Because we are a church that takes risk. We are a church that does something. We're dangerous. And I'm excited for these kids, but here's the... Yeah, you're dangerous, all right. It has nothing to do with shoes or feeding the poor. It has to do with your doctrine. Point. They managed to say yes, and so must you. You've got to say yes at this intersection. Okay, look at Paul. Okay, let's go back, back to the story of this dude named Paul. Okay, let's look at what else happened in Paul's life. Look what they said about him in Acts 17, just a few chapters after that experience. Remember when the light shone down and he fell to the ground and Jesus spoke to him? Look what happened a few chapters later. These men, Paul, who have turned the world upside down. Read the last part What with me. Have what? Have? One more time. Have what? Okay. Look what the Bible says. Those, this is what they said about Paul. Okay. Could you imagine Paul riding into town and people, uh uh-oh. That guy who's turning the world upside down for the cause of God, he's come here to our town too. I love that. That is so dangerous. Okay, what is he doing? He's living with significance. Oh my goodness. All right, we've got to find this verse here. Acts 17. Let's see. Um, didn't they throw him out? Yeah, here it is. It's verse six. Let me read it in context. You know, he makes it sound like, wow, these, these men who've turned the, what, the world upside down, they've come to our town. He, he, he read it as if it's a positive thing. Let's read it in context. Because remember, three rules when it comes to reading the Bible are context, context, and context. Now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom on three Sabbath days, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous 
and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and J Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed. And when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So when you read about Paul and the, these people saying these men who've turned the world upside down have come to our city also, it wasn't them saying, oh, look, these men who've turned the world upside down, they've come to our city also. It was these guys have turned the world upside down. They're denying Caesar and they've come to our city. These are troublemakers. But that's not how he read the passage, is it? Not at all. Not even close. He's 100% wrong. He's 180 degrees out of phase with what the passage actually said. This is not a proof of a life of significance. This is a proof of the offense of the gospel. The message that Jesus Christ is the one true God in human flesh and the one true king to which we owe our allegiance because he is our creator, our redeemer, our savior, who died on the cross to save us from our sins, to literally atone for our sins and buy us back from the devil. That's not being preached at Songson's church. Instead, this verse is ugh, amazing, brazen twist of scripture here. He is feeding people. He's making a difference. He's connecting people to Christ. And that's what we're doing here. Man, in the next three years, we're going to connect 2,000 people to Christ because you're going to reach out to your family and to your friends and to your coworkers. And we're going to feed people. We're going to put shoes on their feet. And we're, going to, we're, we're doing a backpack drive soon for kids right here in, in Southern California that don't have enough money for resources to go to school. That's what South Hills does because we've decided right here at the intersection, God, we're living the great adventure. We're walking with you. And you'll never know the ripple effect if you just give it a chance, the ripple effect, if you would just give it a chance. See, here's what I believe. I believe with all of my heart that if you and I would just say yes, right here, the ripple effect could be huge. I don't know. All of a sudden you go out and you become part of the risk project and people get fed, people get clothed, Okay, maybe you reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and they commit their life to Christ. Okay, I'm going to write the word commit because you're going to help. We're all working to get 2,000 people to connect them to Christ. Now, if you connect a friend to Christ and they end up, it changes their family and it changes their, changes their family over here and it changes their friends and it changes a coworker and then their kids have kids and their kids have kids all because right over here, you made a decision. I told you about 20 minutes ago. Oh, wow. What a manipulative trip. No way. This is not Christianity. This is something completely different. You were going to come to that intersection. Well, you've arrived. You're at the intersection. The light has turned green. Are you going to go left and say, okay, God, whatever you want for my life, I go with that because it sounds really good. And I want to live the great adventure. I wanted the adventure of following the wild lover, the one who's obsessed and loves me, who crossed <sighs> the galaxy for me. Or you can be at the intersection and go right, but it's totally up to you. 
My prayer is that you decide right now at this intersection to say, hey, you, God, the wild lover, here's my life. Here's my heart. If you've been going to this church for a long time, you consider yourself radically committed or you're brand new. It's your first time to church. Wherever you're at, that you would come to that place. You come to that intersection and you say, okay, God, I'm in. I want personal increase. I want my life to have significance. I want help when I'm going through a struggle. I want to go God's way. It worked for people here at this church. It worked for people 2,000 years ago. It'll work for you right now. Say yes to the wild lover. Say no to this gospel because it's not the good news of Jesus Christ. I have to end on a good note here. Um, I want to remind you what Jesus said the message was. Luke chapter 24. Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The apostles, when the Holy Spirit fell, preached. And they preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. They did not talk about ripple effect. They did not talk about the cost-benefit analysis and all the amazing adventures that God is going to take you on if you just make the decision today. That gospel that you heard Chris Songson preach is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is something completely different. Let me read to you from the Apostle Peter, his sermon that he preached to the people in Jerusalem. He said, and now, brothers, this is from Acts chapter 3, verse 17. I know that you acted as in, in, hang on a second here. Let me back it up. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people he utterly astounded ran together to them in the, in the portico that's called Solomon's portico. Peter had just uh, raised a guy uh, who was who was a paralytic and says when peter saw he addressed the people men of israel why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob and the god of our fathers glorified his servant jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of pilate when he had decided to release him but you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, and he thus fulfilled, repent, therefore, and turn, that your sins might be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of long ago, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. 
and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets have spoken from Samuel, and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and your offspring uh, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That sermon that Peter preached is a completely different animal than the sermon that you heard Chris Songson preach. One was the real gospel of Jesus Christ. The other was a counterfeit. Mimicking Christian Christianity by taking on Christian verses and twisting them out of context and woven into a tapestry of deceit designed to send you to hell. All the while thinking that you are serving God. We are at the end of our program today. Uh, if you would like to email me, you can at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And I want to remind you that uh, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported, which means that we depend upon you in order to meet our, pay our bills and continue to bring you this program. You can support us by sending in a gift to uh, Fighting for the Faith, Post Office Box 791, San Juan Capistrano, California, zip code 92693, or visiting us online at fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on the donate button. Until next time, may God bless you.